Hello and welcome. My name is Robert. And I'm Foster. And this is the LCC Podcast, where we take an actor or director from an upcoming release and we talk about one of their older movies that may not be as well known. This week we're basing our topic on Poor Things, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. You've seen The Lobster and The Favorite, and I'm sure you've heard lots of people talk about them. But before those movies, Yorgos directed a movie called Dog Tooth, and that's what we're here to talk about. On IMDb, the synopsis reads, A controlling, manipulative father locks his three adult offspring in a state of perpetual childhood by keeping them prisoner within the sprawling family compound. Do I sound like a robot right now? Uh, uh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I, I might have been scrolling in another tab looking for something about the movie, but don't don't judge me too harshly. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I would zone me out too. Um, <laughs> I would kindly ask the listener not to do so. Um, I kind of paused on the word offspring. I guess this is where we can kick off our conversation on this movie. Mm. Because that kind of implies the arm's length distance at which the parents keep these kids and it's not even like they're children they're kids that we love they don't even really have names uh until later in the movie which we'll be spoiling i guess we should clear that up now um we're always going to spoil the movies we talk about but i i like the use of the word offspring in this context and in this description because you don't hear your kids talked about as offspring a lot um but it fits perfectly here we get it, Robert. You had a you had an okay childhood. <laughs> Did your parents uh, go around introducing this is my offspring, Foster? Um, uh, well, I mean that's what I plan to do with my kids. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean you're right. It's very cold, very detached. Uh, mm-hmm. It's um, not a not a particularly loving family, I would say. I don't mean to jump the gun here and say something so bold, but. Uh, Bad news, those parents, I would say. Heard it here Hot first. Hot takes. Heard it here first. Breaking news. Um, <laughs> let, let's back up just a little bit. What did you think in general of this movie? So this is uh, the first movie on our podcast that I'm watching for the second time. And the first time I watched it. All I the other ones you've it. watched three times is what you said? Exactly. Gotcha. Uh, except for About Schmidt, which I've watched seven times. 17. Oh, man. <laughs> seven that's right. Um, my mistake. I was thinking of I was thinking of Eagle versus Shark, which I saw seven times. About Shark gotcha, was seventeen. Gotcha. This is really funny, and I'm going to keep it going. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it's so, like a four out of ten joke, but we're we're doing it like it's a seven and a half. <laughs> I'm going to pummel it into the ground. Uh, Dog Tooth is a movie, and I liked it the first time I watched it. Um, I don't think I thought too deeply about it. Like I wasn't even really thinking too much about the like. Hmm, what's it saying about? parenthood or anything i wasn't even Mm. like it wasn't even on my mind i was just like wow this is a messed up movie i was just in like that frame of mind and for that it's pretty effective but uh this time i appreciated it a lot more um i even bumped up that letterbox rating half a star Mm. uh after this watch through and i'm glad i rewatched it this was your first time watching it and i am curious what you thought of it which i already saw a little bit but i want you to talk more about it it's true yeah um it was my first time watching it. I had seen Yorgos's three English language movies. I know there's at least one other that I haven't seen. I don't remember the title right now. Um, that came between this one and The Lobster. I don't know if it's in English or not. Anyway, I like those other three. I I should watch Sacred Deer again because, boy, oh, boy, I, I probably had the same reaction that you're just describing about Dogtooth to that. <laughs> um, 
Dogtooth. Here's a weird comparison that I was thinking about as I was walking into this room to record. Um, Yorgos seems to be going in an opposite direction of Wes Anderson. I told you not comparison. Uh, okay. Wes Anderson started off in his career a little bit more loose. He still had that, you know, symmetrical-ish framing with quirky characters. But now you watch, like, Asteroid City. The camera is always still very precise. The characters are meticulously framed. You barely see anyone smile in that movie. Um, they're more just, like, vehicles to deliver his dialogue. Uh, but if you go back and watch Bottle Rocket, it's a lot more loose and a lot more, you know, similar to other movies and other directors you might have seen in the mainstream. Yorgos is kind of the opposite. Dogtooth is like very stilted, very precisely framed and, and blocked. Um, you Again, don't get much emotion from the characters. Uh, then I watched The Favorite before we started recording. I rewatched it and that one feels a lot more loose and the characters a lot more quirky. So it's an interesting... I don't know if there's any merit to that comparison, but for some reason I was thinking about it. Um, but as those two careers have paralleled and gone on, I think I've liked Wes more and Yorgos a little bit less because all this is to say, this is easily my favorite Lanthimos movie so far. Um, I think it's as hilarious as it is disturbing um, in its dry delivery. And it's got a lot in its mind, obviously, and it's got its very particular way of communicating it. Um, I don't know. I think we might be about to have our most robust discussion since uh, Safe, which I know was last week, but that was the most <laughs> robust, our second most robust discussion on any movie is what I meant. It could, have been, it could have been any movie and it would be our most <laughs> robust discussion since Safe. It's our only discussion <laughs> since Safe. Um, so I now that I got my thoughts out of the way, though, I noticed something particular that you said, and I don't know if it was intentional, but you said you weren't picking up on what it was saying about parenthood. Um, I was noticing more about what it says about the children of parents like this. Did you pick up anything specifically about parenthood? So I, I don't have like a specific takeaway necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's more like the general theme of this is the influence that parents can have on children. And you can even extend it beyond that to say, um, I mean, like, yeah, viewed through the kid's perspective, it's like they're willing to accept things, you know, as, as young kids and right. just the great influence that you have over them. I don't talk about it a lot on, on this show or on any shows or anything, but I'm a high school teacher. And so I think about this a lot. Um, mm -hmm. just, uh, you can just tell different students like ways that they were raised or things that, um, you know, like, like even I'm a math teacher, so I can tell this kid was, is able to do this stuff with the calculator. This kid is able to do the stuff without the calculator and is probably sure, all sure. the better for it. So like, um, like even little things like that, but then of course, like then you meet the parents on the parent night or I'm scheduling my, I'm scheduling my parent teacher conferences for next week. And it's like mm -hmm. always really interesting to see. And it's, it's pretty eye opening too. When you meet the parents, you're like, Oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I can connect the, the kid to the parent. Um, and it's, it's made me think a lot these past couple of years. And so when I was watching Dogtooth, I, was, I had all of that in the back of my mind. And I'm like, wow, like adults have such a profound influence on kids the fact that they will literally believe anything you tell them and right. i mean like the responsibility of that is immense and the idea of a parent who 
like intentionally, you know, sets the the child up to believe things that are wrong is really, really, really scary. Of course, you can relate this to like kids being brought up in different religions or belief systems or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's usually done with good intentions, right? This is something that's done with like, I don't know, they don't even explore what the intentions are. So it's so scary. Right. Yeah, it, for me, it was just about like the power that parents have in molding their kids. Yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking about where it's that the movie isn't even interested in the character or the parent's motivation for doing this. And that's mostly why I was thinking about the kids or the effect that it had on the kids and not like what the parent's motivation was and all the stuff that you were just saying, which I find all very intriguing. Um, And I like your perspective because I was thinking about like the bringing your child up in a specific worldview, uh, whether it be religion or um, whatever it might be. Um, Mostly the way I was thinking about it was in the context of just like, again, the effects on the children. So whatever the intention of these parents are. So I guess maybe it is a similar (laughs) thought process to what you're saying, because whatever the, the, the intention of the parents was, this has an immense effect on the children where they believe that the salt shaker is the phone and that, you know, the words for a female anatomical part is a light, you know, and all this kind of stuff, which is, and there's an interesting literal uh, manifestation of that verbal imagery later on. I don't know if you noticed that after there's a very intimate moment between a couple siblings and then they sit up and turn off a big lamp. Uh, which is, I, I like that kind of stuff in movies. Anyway. I did, I did not pick up on that. That's interesting. I, I can't claim it as my own observation. I did see someone say it, but. Uh, oh, you're a fraud. I I'm it. the biggest fraud. Um, have an original thought for once in your life, sir. Come on, man. Do any of us have original thoughts? Oh, no, I can't do this right <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, no, essentially, I I was just liking basically how it all wraps up. So that moment that I just mentioned, the uh, intimate moment between, between siblings and the titular moment of the daughter knocking out her tooth that literalizes and makes tangible some very abstract idea of the effect that these parents have had on their kids. Um, and I looked it up at the time of that the movie came out, these actors were 22, 35 and 38, I think, which is really, yeah. Which is just insane. To me. Yeah. Yeah. Which one was, which were the ones in their thirties? I guess the brother and the older sister. Yes. Oh, they look like the brother like, and the younger like sister were in their thirties and the older sister was in her twenties actually. Really? Or was that a sarcasm? <laughs> that was sarcasm. The older sister can't be younger. <laughs> well, they, she might have been playing the older sister, Robert. She's an actor. Fair enough. Fair She's enough. an actor, man. Anyway, uh, seeing those tangible moments is what had the biggest effect on me because you can be, you can kind of treat it as silly up to a certain point. Just be like, oh, haha, they're calling salt phone. Oh, they're doing this and that. Uh, because like I said, it is very dryly funny throughout the entire movie. Um, have you ever seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith? This, this this just came to my mind. No, I haven't. It's 
Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, they're married, but they're Robert trying to just kill like each other. visibly sighed with his head movement. Just ugh, like when I, when I said I hadn't seen it, thought thought everybody listening should know. Um, that's basically what I do every time you say anything. But um, there's this whole movie about them trying to kill each other and their assassins and yada yada yada. But the last line of the movie, spoiler alert, is Brad Pitt saying, "Well, that's marriage," uh, <laughs> which is classic. just like very classic. But that's kind of the sense that I got in a much less corny way from this movie. It's like, here's what happens when like you, you can look at it, whether the parents were, were best intentioned um, and the kid was well adjusted to real life, or if there were parents like this, it's just like, there's going to be an effect on your kids no matter what. Maybe I'll just shout out a couple specific scenes. I think my favorite scene in the movie is the dance scene when they're doing the flash dance like reenactment and the the mm-hmm. son is playing the guitar and the two daughters are are doing the the jig up front. It's just like it's like a perfect like it encapsulates the whole movie. It's just so so uncomfortable. And it also just made me realize like I think Yorgos just loves awkward dancing scenes like between that and the favorite and then also like the poor things trailer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I little bit of a, a running theme there, and the lobster perhaps. when they all have their headphones on in, in the woods and they're <laughs> dancing to their own music I, i'm wondering there's got to be something to that or maybe it's just like a funny coincidence i don't know um i also you know the moments of violence i think are, are really effective just because it's actually not as graphic a movie violent violence wise as you would think sure. from from what you hear about it like oh it's the most messed up movie you've ever seen and it's like mm-hmm. thematically and like when you realize what's going on yeah but like you actually only see i think like three real moments of violence with the cat the kitchen knife and the tooth and they're like the tooth especially is like Ugh. like like i yeah I watch a lot of gory stuff in horror movies and I, I, I almost never get a reaction except this one got a reaction out of me. It was just like, Oh my gosh. Frankly, I covered my eyes during that scene. <laughs> I, I do not like that sort of thing. That's why I was like standing off from, from watching it for years and years. I also did like the uh, cinematography, the framing again, talking about framing. I, didn't go to film school, but I took a few film classes in college. And one of yeah, you I think did. Like my yes, that's why I have a movie <laughs> podcast to flaunt this knowledge. <laughs> I took like three classes in two semesters. Um, in like the basic intro to film, they love telling you in image composition about leading lines and like uh, oh yeah, drawing the the viewers <laughs> image yeah. or drawing the viewers eye towards a certain thing in the image. Um, there's just this one specific image when they're like sitting on the couch, setting up the home video when they get to watch the video for, for their prize that one night where it's like the couch, the back of the couch leads right to the TV. And I was like, man, my professor would have loved me for pointing this out in class. And like, <laughs> this composition has great leading lines and I would have gotten a yes, very good. But apart from that, I was just noticing how often like the subjects of the image occupy the edge of the frames like there's a lot of framing where like the characters like torso is cut off or at least the the head is cut off at the top um it's very off-putting and very just uncomfortable to watch and then again those two scenes that i said make it tangible it's framed perfectly in fact when she's knocking out her tooth 
you see it in the mirror. So you see it from the front and from the back. <laughs> so you get to see everything. Um, I, I love the juxtaposition of those two types of images where it's like, you're uncomfortable because you can't see a typical cinematic image in these kind of mundane moments of just they're sitting in the living room or swimming in the pool or whatever. But here where they're doing one of the most horrifying things you could do, you're being confronted with it. They're slapping you across the face with it and saying, watch this. It's just two different types of, you know, making you uncomfortable. And they both work perfectly, I think, together and on their own. You should send this podcast here to your professor. I, I should if I even could remember her name. Wow, brutal. I honestly can't remember most of my professor's names, to be honest. Unmemorable. That's what Robert said. That's the rate my professor review. Well, she uh, the, the one time I did speak up in class was when she was talking about scene transitions and was like, can you name a, a, a famous type of movie that uses like fades and whips and all that? I was like, Star Wars? And she said, very good. My friends looked at me and said, good answer so I, I i internalized that and felt good about that for a long time obviously <laughs> one one time in high school my english teacher was we, he was showing us schindler's list and then he was like does anybody know what other steven spielberg or what other movies steven spielberg has directed and i think someone said jurassic park and he's like mm, yeah that's that's a good one i'm thinking of one in particular and i raised my hand and said jaws and he's like yes jaws and i've lived on that high for the rest <laughs> of my life i was like i got good. the one that he was looking for because <laughs> he had like a point he was trying to make sure Oof. man um it is a very well shot movie. I would describe it as clinical, like the mm. way that it's framed. I know. Thank you. Um, I I just it, it's like it is like the the like the heads and the bodies are like cut off out of the frame at awkward, awkward portions, like mm -hmm. kind of like you were saying, you said it better than what I just said. <laughs> but um, it's uh, it's something it's kind of disarming to see the, uh, the like huge um, uh, pulled back shots and the the kids take up just a small part of the frame and they're like blindfolded in the backyard and they're like wandering alone and the camera's just sat still and you're just watching the action yeah. happen out in front of you it's really really unsettling um yeah and even that trust only the parents only go to their voice that's that's your north star in life like the the meaning of that scene is just again unsettling creepy yeah it's like the ho the horror is in seeing it play out so objectively rather than like it being through the perspective of one of the characters. You're just, it's just like, here, let's let this stuff play out in front of you. And that on its own is scary enough. And honestly, like how detached it is makes it scarier, I think in a way. And like the, like the sex scenes and stuff that are really, really deeply uncomfortable. They're also like very right. clinical and cold and detached and awkward. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just like a mark of how these kids were raised to not be able to think for themselves. Like, do they even have the depth of feeling that a person who might be raised with a loving mother and father would have? You know, I don't know. Like, like there are glimpses of it. And I think one thing that's interesting is when they're finally given like their glimpse into the real world through this outside force who brings in the videotapes of Jaws and like what Rocky one Four of the Rocky or whatever. Movies, yeah. <laughs> it's like and then and then the kids call me bruce bruce and then she turns her head bruce and she turns her head again it's like it's like kind of funny parts of the room yeah 
exactly. But and they're like doing pretending there's a shark in the pool or whatever it was they were doing. Um, it's interesting because they're like trying to experience life in the best way that they can, but they've just not been raised in a way where that's even a possibility for them. And it, I don't know. It's like you feel for them in a way, but the movie is so cold that it's not, you're not emotional. You're just kind of disturbed. Um, it's so the first it, time it, she's given a name too, something mm, to respond yes. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of excited by it, which in a right, way is yeah. like a little, it's kind of sweet, you know, like, I we mean, it's for sad, identity it's... for our internal lives, for our self. That's a good point. You, you said it much deeper than I was saying. I just said, yeah. isn't it funny that she likes to be called Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the <laughs> thing. Just... It, it is really funny. Like I said, the, the salt uh, being called a phone is, is funny, but it's also mm-hmm. terrifying. Mm-hmm. It is. Cause of course, also then it's like, well, you think like, why do they specifically change some of those words? It's cause they don't want them to know what a telephone is. You know, <laughs> it's right. like, it's yeah. yikes. Um, and mom is talking to herself in the bedroom again. <laughs> you got to remind me that. Remind me, remind me what you're talking about with that one. They, they just heard, they hear her talking on the phone every day, but don't know that she has a phone. And they say that mom is talking oh. to herself in the bedroom again. Yeah. I think that one, that one slips me by. Um, do you know which, which scene is really, really creepy when the dad uh, late at night is like mouthing words to, to his wife because they yeah. don't want the kids to hear them. And just like the way he's like over enunciating his whispers is really, really creepy. That dad is like a creepy, creepy dude. Heard it here first. Effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Before we talk about the ending, I just wanted to throw out a couple of my favorite things that actually made me laugh. Uh, when the the woman who comes in, you know, to basically to have sex with the son, um, and she's mm-hmm. trying to trade the headband for other favors with one of the daughters. <laughs> she says, do you want this headband? Uh, she said, yes, what are you going to give me? And the daughter says, you can have this pencil. It has an eraser on it. And for some reason, <laughs> specifying that it has an eraser just made me crack up. Um, yeah. When they're barking to, to uh, you know, fend off cats in the yard. And then it has the hard cut to the funeral of the son that, <laughs> that never existed. Uh, mm-hmm. Like in the middle of the barking. That's terrible, but also very funny to me. And then... Another one that's, you know, after he beats up the woman with the VCR, he says, I hope your kids have bad influences and develop bad personalities. I wish this with all my heart. That one was so good. That was like, that was, the, that was I think that was my favorite line in the movie. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you make of the ending? I don't completely know, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, so just for people listening, the ending is the... the sure. yeah oldest daughter right uh mm-hmm. knocks out her dog tooth climbs in the trunk of the car the night passes it's the morning dad goes to work and then the camera just stays focused on the trunk of the car and cut For to black good, like, that's the end of the 15 movie. 20 seconds yeah yeah can you can you just like refresh my memory to like what was the um the uh dialogue that the parents had regarding the dog tooth once the dog tooth is gone they're like it's a sort of symbolic, like entering into adulthood or something of some sort. What was yeah? The there's a scene that? at the dinner table saying you can enter into adulthood once your dog tooth is gone, 
they're trying to make the kids think that it's going to fall out naturally one day and then it'll grow back. Uh, obviously the, the daughter's trying to expedite the process and do it on her own. Um, I don't remember the dialogue when it actually happens. I just know that they're terrified and needs to go find her. Um, to me, I thought it was just more about the kids, obviously like, she got out of the house because she's finally starting to think for herself and have that inter- internal life that we were talking about a minute ago. Um, but it, the extent of what her plan is, like the most that she can conceive of is getting in the car. She has no idea what to do from there. Like she doesn't realize that the trunk doesn't open from the inside. Um, so once she's there and once she's out, theoretically, it's a perfect it would have been the perfect time if the trunk opened from the inside. Um, But it just shows she's wholly unprepared for anything, even remotely close to the real world and just hammers home um, and hits that final nail on the head about, or puts a final nail in the coffin about how these kids are nothing without their parents. And it's again, terrifying, horrifying. And yeah. I think that's a very good interpretation of the ending and that is better than anything I would have come up with. So I don't even know that I want to add anything to that. I was just trying to think of something where I, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the movie and you know, endings are obviously important. Uh, So I was like, I got to think about this for a minute and that's the best I could come up with. Yeah. Do you think she makes it out of the trunk? I mean, to go like basic, like. Sure. Well, I I was going to say that or say something along those lines where eventually the dad's going to open the trunk for one reason or another and going to find her, you know, whether she's screaming or whether she's passed out or whatever, he's going to find her in some state of life or death. Who knows how long it's going to take him to do that and who knows what she's going to do about it. Um, And if he finds her there, I don't think, like I said, she's prepared to, connive her way out of the situation or to reason her way out of the situation it's just going to be like he's going to make up some random crap about why you shouldn't do this and then it'll be back at home there'll probably be other attempts at breakout from the kids but i don't think they'll ever really be successful because i don't think this is a very optimistic movie at all i know gosh i was like (laughs) as you're talking i'm like what a cheerful movie this is yeah (laughs) All right, I have two last thoughts and then I'm done. Yeah. Uh, one other thing it just made me think of in my communications class in college, the teacher showed us this clip. Uh-huh. You this... went to college too. <laughs> I sure did. Uh, and that is why I teach children for a living because I went to college. I am a genius. I was in a communications class. This communications professor showed us this clip of this girl who was literally raised by like wolves or dogs of some sort. And it's, mm. it's like some... I guess in the like psychology world, a notable case study because she was discovered like, like, like middle slash high school aged. And it is, it's, it's really unsettling because she has all of these like, you know, canine characteristics to her and the way she moves her face and the way she walks, like she walks on all fours. It is, it, it really scared me. Like when we're seeing those clips and it just reminded me of this movie a lot as I, as I was watching this movie, I was thinking back to that and I'm like, just once so like, again, the power not to make a joke, but that's essentially real life Tarzan. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely asking. Yeah. 
no, I mean, kind of. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Tarzan, but that seems like a fair comparison. Yeah. It's just like, I, I, I mean, or even in this movie, how the kids are being taught to bark, you know, <laughs> to mm. fend off the, the dangerous sure. cats that killed their brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, that I mean, it was just interesting. And again, just speaks to the power, the influence that that uh, uh, parents or even teachers, you know, have mm. over over the kids. You know, it's it's yeah. just crazy. And it's kind of it kind of it kind of scares me, honestly, like the responsibility that I have too. it's like it's a lot to to take in, like realizing like like these kids see me like every day of the week. It's like, I, like aside from their parents, like their teachers are probably the ones that see them the most often. It's like kind sure. of overwhelming when you really think about it. Uh, last thing I just wanted to say is uh, just in seeing reviews and stuff, it seems like this movie is very, very, very similar to another movie that already exists called Castle of Purity, directed by Arturo Ripstein from 1973. I'm just going to read the synopsis of this movie real quick. A disciplined and sexually driven man forces his family to stay isolated in their home in order to protect them from the evil nature of human beings. So apparently everyone who's seen this movie, like um, even one of our, our friends, Luke, who writes over at Sif Pop has seen this movie and also mentioned how similar it is to Dogtooth. And like all the reviews are just like, so Yorgos basically just copied this movie then. And so I did want to bring that up. Because it, I, I wish I could have seen it before this episode, but I couldn't find it on any streaming service anywhere. It seems like kind of a hidden hidden movie, but um, I don't know. Always hearing something like that does kind of color my view of sure. the movie that came after because it's like it takes away a little bit of the originality. I mean, you were asking, does anyone have an original thought? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I just thought it was worth mentioning. That's fair. I had no idea about that. So I'm going to refrain from commenting because, yeah, I just have no you know, no perspective on it. But I would also like to see it because it sounds interesting. Let's move on to our grid. Okay, so our top row, uh, the column headers read James McAvoy, one word titles, and released from 2000 to 2020. The one row headers on the left side. the word the. I'm sorry, my bad. Uh, one mm-hmm. word titles ignoring the word the. Uh, Bill Hader, is the first row header, then Saoirse Ronan, and then M. Night Shyamalan, which I think this is the second Who's time he? he's popped up. Uh, <laughs> only the best director of all time, Robert. <laughs> director of overrated actress, Tony Collette. And we are back. What'd you get? Uh, my score is 2,371. Oh my goodness. About two minutes ago, while we were paused, you said you might get a higher, or I might easily beat you. I got twenty three eighty six, which doesn't seem to be mm. much higher. My percentage was four point three. Five point eight percent. That's where I was. Man, I let so you much have for your this picks one. being basic. <laughs> All right. Uh, mm. While you say what your top left was, I need to look up this Bill Hader movie that I couldn't think of that I like. Okay. Uh, I mean, James McAvoy, Bill Hader. I just went with It Chapter 2, which had 96.1% of guesses. And do you know what the other one was? Like, what other movie have they both been in? Um, time to do some searching, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> no, I want to know, too, because I put the same thing. You said It Chapter 2? Yeah, It Chapter 2. And can't think of what else it is. I thought it had to be some voice acting movie that, you know, no one knows of. Uh, but apparently there's an Eleanor Rigby trilogy that I've heard about but have never seen. 
Uh, they're both in them. <laughs> you know the okay. Beatles song Eleanor Rigby. Uh huh. I There's figured it was based on that. It's the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, him, her, and them. So okay. apparently it's woke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really, they went downhill <laughs> after those first two for sure. <laughs> uh, what'd you put for Bill Hader? One word. Uh, Bill Hader, one word. I put train wreck. Have you seen train wreck? I have. I also put it for thirty-seven point one. Do you like Trainwreck? I, I think it's okay. I Most Apatow movies I think are fine. I don't know if I can name any that I've seen that I didn't like. This one is just like yeah. one of the lessers. Do you not like it? No, I like it. I actually find the Judd Apatow movies kind of endearing. Like they're like yeah. overly long, but like you can tell like the people that make them, him in particular, seem passionate about it. I don't think he's like the most amazing filmmaker or anything, but like I like this movie fine. I <laughs> There's the one scene where... Amy, Amy Schumer isn't feeling well and Bill Hader, the doctor, is like, all right, what did you eat today? And she's like, oh, not much, only... And she, like, lists a full day's <laughs> worth of food and he goes, so you mean breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack? And it's just his <laughs> delivery is really funny. Um, I was trying to think of the movie They Came Together for 2000 to 2020, which is mm-hmm. a spoof on rom-coms, which is very funny, starring Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler as the leads and a lot of other comic actors that you would know uh in sporting roles but i couldn't think of the title in time and i just put hot rod for 8.4 mm, i put tropic thunder for 4.7 but I, I after the fact i thought of a really really good one he does the voiceover the like ko scott pilgrim win in this in scott pilgrim versus the world and i was oh, like i i bet that would have gotten like 0.1 percent or something crazy because no one knows he does that voice Oh, I almost want to like test it out. I might, I might do it in another tab. One point three percent, so pretty good. Not as low as I thought, but, but yeah. For Robert, James McAvoy, what are your thoughts on the twenty ten film Scott Pilgrim versus the World? <laughs> I saw it once. It's my probably one of my lesser Edgar Wright movies. Here's my hot take: is that I don't really love Edgar Wright outside of the Cornetto trilogy. No, boo. I like Baby Driver That's... a lot. Didn't like Last Night in Soho, thought Scott Pilgrim was fine. But I, I mean, I love the Cornettos, but I think that's my favorite lane of his. Boo. James McAvoy uh, and Sersha? Atonement. That's what I put also. Apparently, they're both in Muppets Most Wanted, though, because this was only 96.7%. Can I tell you, I have never seen a Muppets movie in my life. Weren't we just talking about this? Oh, we were talking about I, it with Shane, weren't we? Maybe that's right. Uh, yeah. Yes, the real world. Not the, yeah, in the real world. Not not, not the podcast. Uh, so the conversations that don't this. matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh. I mean, the only one uh, I've oh. seen is Christmas Carol, so you're not alone. Yeah, one of these days I have to go through and just watch all the Muppet movies. Uh, it's going to happen soon. So stay well, tuned, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no Muppet movies coming out, are there? Or Jim Henson movies. Is Jim Henson alive? Oh, man, that's terrible. I don't know. I I feel like his son does stuff because um, didn't they just do like a gosh, like a labyrinth TV show or something like that? Oh, they did um, Dark Crystal. Jim Henson died in 1990. I apologize. <laughs> so it's it's Brian Henson, right? Uh, who's who's kind of taken over? Um, I wouldn't know. I want to say. I, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I think what are the this wrong... is probably a good time to move on. People? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It is him. He directed like the Happy Time Murders, which by all accounts is okay. a terrible movie. I have not seen it, but I have no desire to. We'll watch some of the movies eventually. Uh, one word search for titles. I put Hannah. I also put Hannah. For uh, have you seen that movie? Yeah, I don't remember it, though. I don't remember it either. Is that Joe Wright? I think it's Joe Wright. Yeah, I was watching Joe Wright movies before Cyrano came out, which is proof that I didn't just start doing this for this podcast. I always have been trying to fill out the context. Um, How is Pan? They sing... Smells oh, like Teen Spirit? Yeah, Nirvana, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember about that movie. I've seen that. I've seen that scene, but not the movie. Yeah, don't don't watch it. Um, I thought Brooklyn was going to be too obvious. That's why I went with Hannah. Here's probably what set me apart uh, in our scores for Saoirse 2000 2020. Uh, she did a movie called On Chesil Beach, which is about uh, a newlywed couple a who one. can't have sex um, because of mental blocks. And my wife and I like Saoirse a lot, so we watched it because of her and... It, it was a movie, but I remember the title and could put it in. I've seen it too. I it th- I wish I would have remembered that I watched that movie. That's a good one. What percent was that? 0.9. Ah, oh, I put the lovely bones. 11.7%. That's still a decent answer. But it's yeah, I, yeah, I mean, but I, I like she's the lead of that movie. It's like it's yeah. Peter Jackson. But um, I actually like lovely bones a little bit. That's I one did, of my I think it's fine. Yeah. That's one of my my warm takes. Uh, I think Stanley Tucci's kind of incredible in it, and like he was nominated, kind of kind of strangely, he was nominated for that. I think he's amazing. Oh, was he? He's really for creepy. An Oscar nominated? Yeah, he was. He lost wow. to Christoph Waltz. Bastards year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> it's just a funny Wait, way to say it. But um, yeah, yeah, I know. Did didn't he win too? Though he won for Django also, right? He did. Or did yeah, he just get nominated later. for that? Okay. No, he won for both of those. But um, it was funny is the Oscar clip when Christoph Waltz won, and they show all the the pictures of the characters that they played. When yeah. uh, Stanley Tucci's character from Lovely Bones pops up, it cuts to Stanley Tucci in the audience, and he just rolls his eyes because <laughs> he like hates the character so much. <laughs> does he hate that he was in it, or does he just hate the character? Uh, Peter Jackson had to like convince him to be in the movie because Stanley Tucci normally plays like more wholesome characters oh, yeah. and apparent apparently just like hated every second of playing this character, but he's so good at it, which he's, is like yeah, it makes you think great. like he's never really been so villainous before, but um it's just like the way he talks like oh Shuji, you know, like it's a really special place, isn't it, Susie? Like I just picture that and I just ugh, I guess next crawls. week we'll talk about it. Um but that's kind of maybe just because they're both bald, but it makes me think of Ben Kingsley and Sexy Beast all of a sudden playing this excellent villain, but we'll talk about that soon. Yeah, you know, honestly, I feel like Lovely Bones might not be a bad one to talk about. I feel like I have a lot I could say about that, so I'm going to keep that one in the in the back of my the brain. back pocket? In the back of my brain, the back pocket of my brain mm-hmm. pocket. <laughs> yeah, Stanley Tucci, my favorite performance of his, by the way, real quick, is Easy A, where he's the most wholesome, you know, he's teen so comedy dad in the entire world. Um, M. Night and James McAvoy, I put glass because just i figured split would be the higher yeah you know, higher same here 35.7 m night one word what'd you do i did the village for 13.1 percent. i was between the village and the visit i did the visit for 5.2 that would have been a better one i was like he has so many one word titles it was like yeah because like there's signs there's old 
glass split, you know. Mm-hmm. And ignoring the the, like Sean Parker, uh-huh. um, and, and the happening. Oh, the happen! Oh man, Jesus! His practice. best movie. Yes. Uh... <laughs> the bees? What? Huh? What? I love that plants. Movie. Is Zoe Deschanel a good actor? Um, I like Zoe Deschanel. Uh, I love of New Girl. Days of Summer. Okay. Oh, yeah. I love New Girl too. Um, New Girl's like top three sitcoms for me. I'm literally. I've been walk like this past week. I'm st- I'm still watching it. Yeah, it's great. Mm. Um, I just wonder. She's, if she's that... so bad in this movie. I get. I get why you yeah. brought that up because it's like it's. I mean, here's the thing though: is like it's that that middle period of Shyamalan movies. You could say that about like half the actors who are in this That's movie. Fair. Like it. Re- it really makes you question some people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, 2000 to 2020, what'd you put? I put Lady in the Water. I did too, 13.8, where you got uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Paul Giamatti, who are both good actors. You wonder. I will slightly defend Paul Giamatti in this movie. I think he's fun. I wouldn't say he's amazing. He's got two normal Um, eyes. (laughs) In this movie, yeah. Unlike the holdovers. Did you look up like pictures of him afterwards? I did. (laughs) He's he's so good in the holdover. I watched him on Colbert, and like he's like so much more sprightly than he is in holdovers. Like you see him like get out of his bed, and it's like oh my gosh, he can barely walk. Paul Giamatti's really let himself go, and it's like no, that was just the performance. He's just a good silly actor. Foster. I know. I lo- I love Paul Giamatti so much. Me too. Have I told you that um, someone I went to high school with, his dad was her. I'm sorry, her dad was friends with Paul Giamatti. Did I tell you about this? No, but that you're so close. <laughs> This is this is really embarrassing, but it's a decent enough story. Um, uh, gosh, someone I went to high school with, her dad was friends with Paul Giamatti, and me being like the movie nerd kid I was, I was sure. like, oh my gosh, your dad's friends with Paul Giamatti? Anyways, the dad of this friend had an app, and I used the app. It was pretty similar to Pinterest, um, except like you could post videos and stuff like that. And because Paul Giamatti was his friend, Paul Giamatti was one of the the few people who, were, who was on this app. And so I, I sometimes posted posted things in the hopes that Paul Giamatti would comment. And I think one time I, I posted like a clip of John Adams, the miniseries. <laughs> and and my guess is that my friend's dad might have sent a text to Paul Giamatti, just like reply to this kid. And he sent something really nice in response. Oh, and I sweet. took a screenshot and I've saved it forever. And it really made my day. So I've always so, loved Paul Giamatti. <laughs> so you were posting Paul Giamatti thirst traps, essentially. <laughs> No, literally, I posted like, like there was like a thread about like best action scenes, and I I posted like Amazing Spider Man two, where you don't even see the action scene. I was like, I hope he sees this. That's so funny. <laughs> I was I was a very cool child. Can we have him on the pod? Uh, promo I would for love the to. My dream, my dream is that I like just walk past him on the street, and then I get to to tell him I was the kid <laughs> <laughs> who posted the John Adams clip. You're welcome. <laughs> And he was like, what? Okay. I know. <laughs> One eye just drifts to the side. <laughs> he tells you to look in the wrong eyes to make you feel bad about doing it. Um, <laughs> there's our grid. There's our chat there about Paul Giamatti. Uh, thanks for listening. I, 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 I could say I had a good time this week. Um, you could follow us both on Letterboxd, me at Robert's Thoughts, and the other guy at FOSTH101. And if you're enjoying the show, let us know. Like, rate, subscribe, do whatever you do for podcasts. We spoiled it a little bit, but we'll see you next time as we talk about Jonathan Glazer's movie Sexy Beast in honor of the release of Zone of Interest. Uh, See you then.